1: Hello, welcome to the Snooker Scene podcast. I'm Dave Hendon. I'm with uh, the Snooker Scene editor, Clive Everton, for another summer special. We can actually call it that uh, this time because it's really, really hot outside. And uh, this podcast uh, has uh, been heard in over 100 countries, so uh, thank you wherever you are for listening. And uh, today we're going to be talking, or we're catching up on what's been happening of late Neil Robertson winning the Riga Open, Antony McGill winning the Indian Open, and later on we're going to be discussing the art of snooker commentary. But we start in Riga. Um, first tournament of the season, Clive, I suppose it was hard to sort of see who'd be in form, who wouldn't, but I guess there's no great surprise when Neil Robertson wins a tournament.
0: No, and it's always a good thing to get off to a good start in the, in the new season. Uh, it, it's strange uh, how the, the calendar is set up uh, this year. It's almost like we get a false start mm. with uh, two or three tournaments, and of course, this is because there's so much happening in the wider world of sport that you don't want clashes for for television purposes. Mm.
1: Good for Neil as well to to just start, you know, with a with a solid win. He's not entering everything during the summer because he's gone back to Australia, which is fair enough. But you know, he's already got one on the board.
0: Uh, uh, absolutely, get 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 the points up there. I was interested in Michael
1: Holt's uh, run because we, he beat Robertson at the Crucible played terrifically well and I mean he's always been a fantastically talented player but he's now got this mental focus hasn't he he's been working with Terry Griffiths it's obviously made a massive difference.
0: Well you've said it all there, there David because uh, uh, Holt as, as you say has always had all the shots um, but so so often he's uh, uh, combusted, imploded put it, put, it, put it how you like he's been his own worst enemy but uh, he's he, he managed to get into better habits of thinking under Terry Griffiths, who's basically seen it all and done it all. And uh, I, I, I think that he, he'll stay around his new high level, perhaps even slightly higher for, for, for the new season, because uh, it, it, it's so important what's, what's in your head.
1: Hmm. I kind of admire as well the way he's, he's sort of stuck it out, because he's had so many sort of setbacks and disappointments over the years. But I guess, well, we'll talk later about actually about David Lilly, the amateur, but when it's in your blood, you know, you, I suppose you always think, well, next time it could be better, and, it, and it's getting better for
0: him. Well, he loves the game. Mm. Uh, because you ask yourself, after a, a lot of disappointments sometimes, well, maybe it's time to give up. But then you, you, you think, how would I feel if I did give up? At least if you keep going, you've got the hope of turning it around and, and Holt has.
1: Absolutely. well. The next tournament, of course, the Indian Open, which has just finished uh, recently, as we record this, and uh, a breakthrough, significant breakthrough for Scotland's Anthony McGill. Again, you know, a player very talented. I, mean, I remember talking to Alan McManus about him, and he said, no two ways about it, he'll he'll be a tournament winner. And uh, of course, Alan is very knowledgeable, and he turns out to be right. He won that event, beat Karen Wilson in the final. And uh, I mean, there's a piece in the in the new issue of Snooker actually, in the August issue about him. He is very dedicated, isn't he, to snooker?
0: He's got the game, and more important, he's got the the right attitude. Um, He had a bit of a blow really when Marcus Campbell, um, who he practiced with a lot, uh, fell off the tour and he he was finding it difficult to get the right kind of practice uh, opposition. Um, And uh, He didn't really have a great season last season until he got to the Crucible, Um, but he was absolutely determined to really get stuck into the practice um, between the Crucible and the start of the new season, and uh, we, we, we saw the, uh, the benefit of that not only in uh, in Latvia, where he, he thought he, he was convinced he was going to win that tournament mm. before he ran into Michael Holt, mm. and and he did win in 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 Hyderabad. Um, so I, I think he'll, he's up to eighteenth now, and I think he'll continue to climb.
1: I think it's always good to see new winners, but particularly new young winners. And uh, he didn't fall victim to. Uh, Well, it's a crucible curse that I've just made up, but uh, quite often down the years, there's been surprise quarter finalists. Lee Walker was one, Patrick Wallace was one, and they didn't really push on from that. Uh, In more recent times, Jamie Jones got to the quarters, didn't really do anything the next year. Michael White actually got to the quarters, didn't do much the next year, although of course he's since won tournaments. So Anthony McGill got to the quarters 2015. Last season was really quiet until he beat Sean Murphy at the crucible, but maybe just that one result he ended the season on a, on a positive note and came into this season feeling good. And he actually said, didn't he? He went straight to practice. He didn't have a break.
0: Yeah. Well, you've, you've just got to keep going, haven't you? Uh, I think. I think with some players who, who get to one quarterfinal and more or less that's it. Uh, what? And you mentioned uh, Patrick Wallace, uh, Lee Walker. I think not necessarily in their cases, but in similar cases. Uh, I, I think a, a great performance like that, and it is, a, and it is a great performance to reach a, a Crucible quarterfinal. It, it raises their own expectations. Instead of saying, "Well, that's exceptional for me," they think that that's their standard, mm. and they, they start to measure themselves against it, and that can only lead to frustration and disappointment.
1: Also, I think that because it's such a big deal, the World Championship, and everyone's watching, and you become you know well known from it, and then always the new season will always start you know in in wherever they have the qualifying, Barnsley, Wigan or whatever and you kind of, it, it is sort of back to reality sort of thing It maybe takes a bit of getting used to but I think Anthony McGill, um, he's had a good grounding you mentioned Marcus Campbell, Alan McManus as well he's practised with John Higgins there is something about the Scots that, without wishing well actually no, wishing to generalise there's something about the Scots, they don't let it go to their heads do they they're very grounded, you, you can't get flash and above yourself and Anthony said, you know, I'm not going to go spending this money I'll just go on the bank and finance my career they're, ve- they're a very grounded lot
0: I'm just trying to think of somebody of a Scot that isn't, but I, so, <laughs> but in the absence of being able to think about uh, think of one. That I, well,
1: John Higgins has never been flash. He, no. Hendry earned a lot of money. He was never all oh, right. He had his nice cars and so on, but you, he didn't go in, you know, acting flash.
0: No, no, no. You, you, you're right. And, and uh, in McGill's case, he spends um, a, a lot of time when he's not um, actually practicing. He, he he goes on YouTube a lot. Studies mm. old matches. Um, he, he he's really his mind is on snooker all the time. Mm.
1: He's also a vegan, as is Neil Robertson. Peter Ebden was was keen to <laughs> to point this out. First two tournaments of the season been won by vegans. We're not going to go into that because we're, we're certainly not ex- <laughs> we're certainly not experts on it. But I suppose it can make a difference if you have the discipline to make that lifestyle change. You Maybe it helps you with the discipline to to you know to play a professional sport, I don't know.
0: Well simply it shows that you have considerable self-discipline. I, I, I couldn't do a vegan diet.
1: No well all those breakfasts to the championship league would be a thing of the, <laughs> thing of the past wouldn't they? Um, it's good to see a young winner and, and I was wondering is this part of the sort of the, the next wave because of course he beat Karin Wilson in the final, he's already a tournament winner and very highly rated. Michael White had won the Indian Open previous staging it's good to see a few young young players coming through, isn't it? It's What the game needs.
0: It is, but I'm not so sure that that, that two events equal one trend. You know, mm. I mean, we, we've got all, all sorts of players winning uh, winning titles. Mark Selby is world champion. Let's not forget he's he's 32. Uh, he's in the sort of middle phase of his career. His peak years, really. Mm. We've had young winners, and uh, we, we, we've had older players doing exceptionally well. And, and let's not forget that Ronnie O'Sullivan. Is an older player these yeah. days.
1: You don't think of Ronnie as that, though, do you? I mean, I know he is forty, but you just you you always have feeling that he's kind of still as he was when he was a teenager. I think, in many respects, he is. Yeah, Ronnie actually, at the minute, is going across America with Matt Smith, the TV presenter, filming a documentary about American pool. So that's what he's doing. It's all right for some, isn't it? Um, well, we, that might be Snooker's new wave. What about Snooker's old wave? Because uh, Darren Morgan, who, of course, he was in the Riga Open. He'd won a, a sort of qualifying event during the European Championship. Got to the semi-finals. That was the first time in 30 years that a 50-something had got to a ranking event semi-final. And then you wait 30 years for that to happen. And then it happens in the next tournament. Nigel Bond came through, got to the semis of the Indian Open. Firstly, Darren. I mean, Darren, he always tells people he doesn't play snooker. I here and there. He plays a lot, doesn't he?
0: Well, he's got his own club, the the, the Red Triangle. I, I can't believe he he doesn't uh, uh, knock a few balls around most days.
1: But what it shows you, because people say you know standards going up all the time. I think certainly standards in terms of strength and depth are higher than they've ever been. But let's not forget our. Good, Darren was in his heyday. I mean, he was a top eight player. He won the Irish Masters, and he was a regular in the latter stages of the tournament. So, great to see him doing well again.
0: It is. I think the key factor is that old <coughs> favourite love of the game. If you if you want to do it, then you you, you can do it. Obviously, there comes a certain age when you can't do mm-hmm. it. But I, I think sort of forty or even fifty, it's still possible if you if you apply yourself and you really want to do it. It can be done.
1: And I think in Nigel Bond's case, he's sort of had a new lease of life. He's working at this Victoria Academy in Sheffield and working with a lot of the young, particularly Chinese players. That seems to have done him a lot of good. We had a piece in from Michael McMullen in the last issue about the fact that he's not retiring. There was talk that he might, but he's carrying on. And again, you know, he absolutely loves it. He's, I mean, he has lived and breathed snooker, hasn't he, his whole life?
0: Yes, I think it's different now. He's got a new avenue to go down. Mm-hmm. He knows that if if he if he stops winning matches, it's not all over uh so the pressure's off to some degree and yet again he does love the game mm.
1: also he's looked after himself he's never been what you might call a hellraiser nigel i mean he's uh, you know he's he's been a proper pro and uh, but can still get results that's the point you know he, he he he's not he obviously doesn't see it as just making up the numbers he's he's there to be a competitive player
0: i think he he, he goes to Any match he plays with the same attitude. I'm going to give it my best. If I win, that's great. And if I don't, I'm not going to get too excited about
1: that. So I guess at the moment in snooker age is basically irrelevant, isn't it? It's it's you can't really, like you said, you can't really sort of apply any great logic to it. It's just who does well in what tournament. And there's so many tournaments more than ever now. There's so much opportunity.
0: It'll be very interesting to see just what spread we get uh, of winners in the coming season. Mm.
1: And, and if any teenagers can, can win anything. Because, you know, we talk about the young players, but McGill and, and, and Wilson and, the, and those guys, they're actually mid-twenties, you know, and you look back, people like O'Sullivan, Williams, Higgins, Hendry, had already won world titles by then. So it's whether we get a real sort of superstar who's really young.
0: Well, they were exceptional, weren't they? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and O'Sullivan was the, the exceptional one among all the other exceptionals. Mm. One man who... Didn't turn
1: professional was David Lilly who was three times English amateur champion, um, but he had this great run in India as well. He got to the quarterfinals, beat Mark Williams. Of course, he was playing as a as a Q school top up. Um, he's what you might call a proper amateur.
0: Well, he he's been working in insurance uh, well forever it seems, and when he won the English amateur championship for the first of the of the three times he he, he won it. Uh, he, he could have turned professional, but he, he compared his job, where, which was absolutely rock solid with a pension, and uh, playing on a tour which then had only eight tournaments, and uh, the, player, the players had to win uh, three matches against good opposition, even to get to a venue, uh, and he, he just added it all up and thought, you know, it, it's, just, it's just too dicey.
1: Yeah, but he, he still—I mean, so you like you say—he has a full-time job in insurance. But then most nights he's, you know, goes home, has his dinner, and so on, sees the family, and then goes off to practice.
0: Well, remarkable self-discipline. Uh, uh, who would? How many players after a day's work, uh, getting home at quarter past six? Uh, Play with their children, have a meal, and then go out at about nine o'clock to practice for an hour and a half on his own. Uh, I mean, it, it's remarkable, and, and uh, yeah, dedication like that deserves its reward. Mm. Yeah, there's this sort of thing,
1: though, about cause he can't actually earn, he can keep the money, can't he? But he can't earn ranking points, which is one of these grey areas. It's, they let amateurs play in the tournaments, but they're not sort of ranked. I mean, it's,
0: what do you think of that? Well. The, the, that's been amended recently okay. if, if he does if his Indian open points are supplemented by some other top up points in subsequent tournaments, and he finishes in the top 64 mm. then he would be allowed to keep his place but I think that the all players who play in all of, in, in, in any events, there, there should be a ranking list. If it goes down to a thousand places, like it does in tennis, then that, 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 that's fair enough. I think there's nothing like a ranking list to stimulate interest, mm. even for somebody who's perhaps not that brilliant. He, he might take satisfaction from making the top 200 mm. in tennis. The, the Mister Number 200 is a pretty good player.
1: Yeah. Some people argue though that. Uh on the world professional tour and there shouldn't be amateurs in tournaments if you can't get a full field you just have walkovers. Uh,
0: I'm not in favour of, of exclusionism in, in any form.
1: Okay well that's what's been happening of late uh, the next tournament is the Paul Hunter Classic in August and then the season kind of starts for real I guess in September and obviously up throughout the the winter and into the new year plenty coming up the rest of this podcast, we're going to talk about Stuka commentary. Obviously, Clive is the doyen of Stuka commentators, so it's worth hearing his views about the way, I guess, it's changed over the years and also some of the disciplines involved. The, the early years of commentary, it was basically Ted Lowe sat in the audience. That's why he, he got the nickname Whispering Ted Lowe, because he had to whisper, otherwise obviously we put the players off. Um, and then... I guess as as torment snooker came onto TV, a sort of pattern emerged, Clive, where you would have the sort of the broadcaster, as it were, and the player, So of commentator, summariser, was how it started.
0: Yes, uh, and I, I think that's still the, the, the best the best way. The responsibility of the lead commentator is to give uh, first reaction, uh, fill in uh, any any factual points which uh, seem relevant, basically lead lead a conversation. Um, if his summariser raises a controversial point it's the duty of the lead commentator to to put the contr- the, the contrary point even if actually he agrees mm. with him mm. uh, so, so you 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 have a, a balanced <coughs> debate i think if you have two players together as you as you often do well you always do now on on um, on on bbc um, then you, you, they tend to want to say the same things and very often you find a commentary just turns into a series of shot analyses and I think there's a little bit more to it than that
1: Yeah, I think the you know, the the, the sort of lead commentator role is, you're there to sort of give context, don't you, Just you say, give information give relevant information and sort of guide guide the the viewer through what it means, not necessarily why he's playing that shot, but obviously if they played before you know and relevant meetings before, and just provide context. but I was going to ask you though when you started, were you sort of given these things as rules, or was this just something that sort of happened?
0: Well, we were actually given a rule at one okay. point when Nick Hunter was the first executive producer in charge of Snooker, he decreed that there must not be. A comment on any more than three consecutive shots <laughs> which, which I thought was taking it to yeah. excess because you can have an exchange where you can have ten consecutive mm. shots all of which require a comment but but um, uh, he was pretty insistent he was pretty insistent on that uh, and, and in any case he he was insistent on not too much crossing the line the summarizer was there to analyze the shots the 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 the, co- the the lead commentator was there to do what you've just said he was supposed to be doing <laughs>
1: hmm. was 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 there occasions where him or another producer would have to basically tell anyone to
0: to shut up well uh, uh, Back in the day, uh, I remember when Willie Thorne was was over-talking and when he didn't heed a warning, he was summarily thrown out of the country box. (laughs) (laughs) But it it doesn't seem to have done his subsequent career any harm. No. So why is it then... I I mean, I think all sport
1: on telly has changed. You listen to cricket now. I mean, Richie Benno in his day, you know, it was often about what he didn't say as much as what he did say. Because when he did speak, it was worth listening to. Tennis, they didn't used to talk that much. It seems now... Like talk is is just incessant, I mean, I was watching Wimbledon. There were a lot of matches at Wimbledon where they had three commentators, which just seemed like total overkill, but that 's the fashion now, I guess
0: well, uh, I think also broadcasters tend to sort of sign up uh, mm. uh, experts, you know former champions, and then they think, "Oh well, what are we going to do with them <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and, and, and it can be uh, a lot of overtalk and also in some of the more some of the the, the less important matches with the less uh, with the, the the less renowned commentators. What what I noticed was a, a, an absolutely incessant determination to, to 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 tell you what you're what you're actually watching. You know, mm. you've got to uh, illuminate what's going on, not 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 repeat the umpire, for example.
1: Mm. It's interesting though. A, a lot of Wimbledon. I mean, as I was watching the tennis, and they still, in the main, stuck to the what we described as a traditional arrangement, so you had a, a lead commentator, quite often they were actually an ex-tennis player but they were more, I mean Andrew Castle I think of as, as a journalist Oh yeah. more, more than a tennis player, it's no offence to him by the way, that's actually a compliment, uh, but he does that lead role r- really well. I, but it just wouldn't work in some sports, you, imagine football, if you had two footballers commentating on a, on a match it would just be a car crash.
0: Well, well, you, you, you just you just don't have uh, Clive Tilsley and Sam Matterface on the same commentary exactly, do you? yeah,
1: yeah, yeah exactly. So let's go through then, because I think people will be interested, if, if you're commentating, so, say you're doing the, the Champion of Champions for ITV, so the match starts at 1 o'clock, so what is your, what is your preparation, what is your day up until you start commentating?
0: Well, I, I would take it pretty, pretty easy in the morning, uh, uh, but I would make sure I'd got um, all, all my notes about me, which are, which are supplied, I'm, I'm glad to say. Uh, get a few um, facts, relevant facts, uh, fixed uh, fixed in my head. Uh, <coughs> when it comes to the commentary itself, I, I, I might sort of have some idea about what my opening remark is going to be, but after that I would pretty much wing it. Mm. And uh, so I, I think you can you can over-prepare, can't you? But would you necessarily,
1: if you see one of the players, say Mark Selby's playing, would you... Just have a brief word with him see if anything sort of happened that you need to know or do you sort of leave them alone to prepare
0: I, I tend to leave the players alone um, uh, I mean it, 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 if, 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 he, if he just happened to be having breakfast on the next table there'd be some sort of conversation but there wouldn't be anything heavy to do with the match mm.
1: and is every match do you treat every match the same or if you're going into the final is there, is there more preparation or is there more need to focus or is it all just kind of the same?
0: I, I, I think I think psychologically finals are a little bit different. You mm. think, well, this is it, you know, the, 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 this is this is the most important uh, ma- match of the week. Mm. But in terms of enjoyment, um, I, 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 it's quite likely that I could enjoy quite a poor match in terms of quality mm. between two of the lesser lights uh, if it was close and dramatic, mm. rather than one of the one of the top players just brushing somebody aside. Uh,
1: Mm. to what extent are you thinking or maybe when are you thinking about towards the end of a match or the end of a final how are you going to sort of wrap it up
0: i think when you get a sense uh, through what could be the final frame you 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 start to run a few things through your mind about how you're going to uh, how you're going to round, round off uh, round off the commentary Mm. Uh, of course, uh, I remember doing this when when O'Sullivan um, won won the, um, the the world championship, and I was into my sort of closing, what I thought was my closing <laughs> speech, and he missed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, we had to rapidly rapidly rewind and uh, mm. think of something else. There's yeah. There's
1: one one thing that um, I've actually heard people comment on it is this thing about you and I because we're journalists. If I'll use Mark Selby again as an example, if he's playing will say Selby. Selby you know, has done this, Selby's done that. A lot of commentators, particularly the players, will say Mark. Now, to me, the correct way is Selby, because it implies a distance. It implies we're not pals and we don't know them and all that. Even if we do know them, that's not the point. There is a distance there. But some people seem to prefer the other way.
0: I don't think you should ever, you should ever get too chummy mm. with the players. I agree with you completely that you, the commentators should keep... Some sort of formality in it. Some mm. sort of so, some sort of distance. Uh, at, at cricket, you don't you you, you, you don't uh, you don't hear to, hear old uh, uh, you know Jimmy's bowling. It's Anderson's bowling, yeah. isn't he? Yeah. Also, it's, I think it's, it suggests it's more serious if if you use the surnames. And
1: I think it, there are occasions where again we Mark in um, Germany last year. was in the final. Sean Murphy and last frame of the first session, he made this great clearance and. I just went to the hotel and he just happened to get in the lift with me and I just had a very brief chat about it. And I was able to say for the second session, oh, yeah, I saw Mark earlier on. Now, that's different because that's like a slight anecdote. So I think that's OK. But in the main, surnames, it's got to be, hasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, so I think you, you can answer this, Clive. In terms of you've, you've commentated with a lot of people down the years, do you have sort
0: of have you had favourites that you've worked with? Well, Neil Fold stands out as the uh, as the best um, as the best summariser of, of this or, or any other generation. Mm. But but I, I've I've um, I've enjoyed working with practically everybody I, I, I've worked with. I enjoyed working with with John Virgo and Dennis Taylor, and uh, I, I can say I, I think they're they're much better summarisers than lead commentators. But they're into a sort of Lead commentators' role, which I, I I don't think uses their talents to best advantage.
1: What makes Neil so good? He may be listening, but we don't embarrass him. But what, what makes what makes Neil so good?
0: Well, he, he works at it professionally. He, he 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 knows what's going on in 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 the snooker world. He knows the the significance of of, of matches, which which is of course, partly a. a, a, a uh, a lead commentators function as well but he, he, he was a top player he knows the game as it is played on the table he knows it inside out uh, and he, he's got good delivery he's succinct. he doesn't waffle um, he's uh, funny as
1: well isn't he yeah funny. yes yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I,
0: I, I think he's the, he's the best of the breed
1: what I like about Neil is he, he's not he will give an opinion. In the studio or the commentary box, if he's asked a question, it's not on the one hand this, on the other hand that. He will just say what he thinks. And he's not worried about then having to go to the players' room and somebody coming up and saying, you shouldn't have said that. He will just say what he thinks, which is what he's being paid to do. Very important. Mm. So, looking ahead then to the the future, which current players could become commentators? Because I did um, a couple of frames in Germany, German Masters last season in Berlin, with with Ronnie O'Sullivan, because he was working for Eurosport. Wasn't sure how that was going to go. And he was excellent, and it wasn't a great match, it was the semi-final between Graham and Martin Gould, he was only supposed to do one frame, it wasn't a great frame, at the end of it he said, can I do the next one, which was a good sign, Mm. and it was just really interesting hearing his uh, views of the shots played, or shots that maybe shouldn't have been played, and he was really into it, and I thought, he can do this, this is a career for him, definitely.
0: Uh, I think most of the players that have got a few words at, at, at their disposal, they can do it. I think the key is how much they want to, and it, it was really good that that, that Ronnie wanted to. Mm.
1: Whether he whether he, he would have stuck it out if it had been a 6-5 at midnight, I don't know. But i, I tell you what, he, he was excellent, and of course you can't argue with his insight into the game and, and shot choices and so on. Sean Murphy strikes me as someone who <laughs> will end up doing this sooner rather than later as well. Yeah. Yeah. Any others you think? I mean, what what is the sort of? Obviously, having been there and done it is one thing, but that's not necessarily. I mean, going back to Neil, Neil was never world champion. But it's not about that, is it? It's about, I guess, being able to communicate,
0: being able to communicate, being having the words to say something that that, that, that that's interesting rather than use the same stop phrases over and over again. Mm. Do you still enjoy the commentary? You've been at it a long time. I love it, and, and I miss the BBC commentary desperately.
1: Well, I think the BBC viewers miss you, Clive. Um, OK, well, that's, uh, that's that then. Well, thank you for listening. It's, uh, again, it's been uh, a, a bit of a summer special. We will be back with more regular podcasts later in the year. Not next month, because I'm in Edinburgh. This is my monthly chance to plug my play, The D-List, which is on at the Edinburgh Festival from August the 3rd. Tickets available, very much available, um, from the website edfringe.com. Looking forward to that. Thank you, Clive. And uh, we'll see you very soon. Well, we we won't see you. You'll hear us. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com.
0: It's my little escape.
1: Now Judy's the life of the party.
0: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
1: Whoa, take it easy, Judy. (laughs) In Colorado, you can legally gamble in Black Hawk, Central City, Cripple Creek, and licensed online sports betting. Protect our communities. Learn more at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER.